Catechesis with Pope Benedict XVI. St. Francis of Assisi. Papa Benedict's Catechesis at the General Audience on Wednesday the 27th of January 2010. Dear brothers and sisters, in the recent catechesis I have already illustrated the providential role that the Order of Friars Minor and the Order of Friar Preachers, founded respectively by St. Francis of Assisi and St. Dominic de Guzman, had in the renewal of the Church of their time. Today I would like to present to you the figure of Francis, an authentic giant of holiness, who continues to fascinate so many people of every age and every religion. A son was born into the world. With these words, in the Divine Comedy, the great Italian poet Dante Alighieri alludes to the birth of Francis, which took place in Assisi at the end of 1181, or the beginning of 1182. Belonging to a wealthy family, his father was a cloth merchant, Francis spent a carefree adolescence and youth, cultivating the chivalrous ideals of the time. At twenty, he took part in a military campaign and was taken prisoner. He fell ill and was freed. After his return to Assisi, a slow process of spiritual conversion began in him, which gradually brought him to abandon the worldly lifestyle that he had practised up until then. Dating from this period are the famous episodes of his meeting with a leper to whom Francis, getting off his horse, gave the kiss of peace and of the message from the crucifix in the small church of St. Damien. Three times Christ on the cross came to life and told him, Go, Francis, and repair my church in ruins. This simple event of the word of God, heard in the church of St. Damien, hides a profound symbolism. St. Francis was immediately called to repair this little church, but the ruinous state of this building was a symbol of the dramatic and disquieting situation of the church herself at that time, with a superficial faith that did not form or transform life, with a clergy that was hardly zealous, with a chilling of love, an interior destruction of the church that also brought a decomposition of unity with the birth of heretical movements. However, In the centre of the church in ruins was the crucified Lord, and he spoke. He called for renewal. He called Francis to the manual labour of concretely repairing the little church of St. Damien, symbol of the deeper call to renew the very church of Christ, with her radicality of faith and her enthusiasm of love for Christ. This event, which probably occurred in 1205, makes one think of another similar event which took place in 1207. The dream of Pope Innocent III. He saw in a dream the Basilica of St. John Lateran, mother of all churches, collapsing, and a small and insignificant religious brother supporting the church on his shoulders so that it didn't fall. It is interesting to note, on the one hand, that it was not the Pope who gave the help for the Church not to collapse, but a small and insignificant religious brother, whom the Pope recognised in Francis when he later visited him. Innocent III was a powerful Pope, of great theological culture, as well as of great political power. However, 
It was not he who renewed the church, but the small and insignificant religious brother. It was St. Francis, called by God. On the other hand, however, it is important to note that St. Francis did not renew the church either without or against the Pope, but only in communion with him. The two realities go together. The successor of Peter, the bishops, the church founded on the succession of the apostles, and the new charism that the Holy Spirit created at that time to renew the church. Together true renewal grew. Let us return to the life of St. Francis. Since his father, Bernardoni, reproved of him for being too generous to the poor, Francis, in front of the Bishop of Assisi, with a symbolic gesture stripped off his clothes, intending thus to renounce his paternal inheritance. As at the moment of being created, Francis did not have anything except the life that God had given him, into whose hands he entrusted himself. He then lived as a hermit until, in 1208, another fundamental event in the itinerary of his conversion took place. Listening to a passage from the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus' discourse to the apostles sent out on mission, Francis felt called to live in poverty and dedicate himself to preaching. Other companions joined him, and in 1209 he travelled to Rome to submit to Pope Innocent III the project of a new form of Christian life. He received a fatherly welcome from this great pontiff who, illuminated by the Lord, intuited the divine origin of the movement awakened by Francis. The Poverello of Assisi had understood that every charism given by the Holy Spirit should be placed at the service of the body of Christ, which is the Church. Therefore, he always acted in full communion with ecclesiastical authority. In the lives of the saints, there is no conflict between prophetic charism and the charism of governance, and, if any tension is created, they know to wait with patience for the timings of the Holy Spirit. In reality, several historians in the 19th and also the last century tried to create behind the Francis of tradition a so-called historical Francis, just as they tried to create behind the Jesus of the Gospels a so-called historical Jesus. Such an historical Francis would not have been a man of the Church, but a man linked immediately only to Christ, a man who wanted to create a renewal of the people of God, without canonical form and without hierarchy. The truth is that St. Francis really had a very immediate relationship with Jesus and with the Word of God, which he wanted to follow sine glossa, just as it was, in all its radicality and truth. It is also true that initially he had no intention of creating an order with the necessary canonical forms, but simply with the Word of God and the presence of the Lord. He wanted to renew the people of God, calling them anew to listening to the Word and to literal obedience to Christ. Moreover, he knew that Christ is never mine, but is always ours, that I cannot have Christ, and that I cannot rebuild in opposition to the Church her will and her teaching, but only in communion with the Church.
built on the succession of the apostles, his obedience to the word of God also renewed. It is also true that he had no intention of creating a new order, but only of renewing the people of God for the Lord who comes. But he understood through suffering and pain that everything must have its own order, that the law of the church is also necessary to give form to renewal, and thus he really placed himself in a total way with his heart in the communion of the church with the Pope and with the bishops. He always knew that the centre of the church is the Eucharist, where the body and blood of Christ become present. By means of the priesthood, the Eucharist is the church. Where the priesthood and Christ and communion of the church go together, only there dwells also the word of God. The true historical Francis is the Francis of the church, and precisely in this way he also speaks to non-believers, to believers of other confessions and religions. Francis and his ever more numerous brothers established themselves at the Pontian Cooler, or the Church of St. Mary of the Angels, the sacred place par excellence of Franciscan spirituality. Claire, a young woman of Assisi from a noble family, also placed herself at the school of Francis. Thus was the origin of the second Franciscan order, that of the poor Clares, another experience destined to produce outstanding fruits of holiness in the Church. The successor of Innocent III, Pope Honorius III, with his bull Cum Delecti of 1218, also supported the singular development of the first Friars Minor, who were opening missions in various countries in Europe and even in Morocco. In 1219, Francis obtained permission to go to speak with the Muslim Sultan Malik al-Kamil in Egypt, to preach the gospel of Jesus there too. I want to underline this episode in the life of St. Francis, which is very timely. In an era in which there was a clash underway between Christianity and Islam, Francis, deliberately armed only with his faith and his personal gentleness, travelled the way of dialogue with efficacy. The chronicles tell us of a benevolent welcome and cordial reception by the Muslim Sultan. It is a model that today should also inspire relations between Christians and Muslims, to promote a dialogue in truth, in reciprocal respect, and mutual understanding. It seems, then, that in 1220 Francis visited the Holy Land, thus sowing a seed that would bear much fruit. His spiritual sons, in fact, made a privileged space of their mission in the places where Jesus had lived. With gratitude, I think today of the great merits of the Franciscan custody of the Holy Land. Returning to Italy, Francis consigned the governance of the order to his vicar, Fra Pietro Catani, while the order, which gathered more and more followers, was entrusted by the Pope to the protection of Cardinal Ugolino, the future Supreme Pontiff Gregory IX. For his part, the founder, totally dedicated to preaching, which met with great success, drew up a rule later approved by the Pope. In 1224, in the Hermitage of Laverna, Francis saw the crucified Lord 
in the form of a seraphim, and from the encounter with the crucified seraphim, he received the stigmata. Thus he became one with Christ crucified, a gift henceforth which expressed his intimate identification with the Lord. The death of Francis, his own transitus, occurred on the evening of the 3rd of October 1226 at the Porzian After having blessed his spiritual children, he died, lying on the bare ground. Two years later, Pope Gregory IX inscribed him in the role of the saints. Shortly after, a great basilica was built in his honour in Assisi, still today a destination for many pilgrims who can venerate the tomb of the saint and enjoy the vision of the frescoes of Giotto, a painter who has illustrated the life of Francis in a magnificent way. It has been said that Francis represents an altar Christus, that he was truly a living icon of Christ. He has also been called the brother of Jesus. In fact, this was his ideal, to be like Jesus, to contemplate the Christ of the Gospel, to love him intensely, to imitate his virtues. In particular, he wished to give a fundamental value to interior and exterior poverty, teaching this also to his spiritual children. The first beatitude of the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, found a luminous realization in the life and words of St. Francis. Truly, dear friends, the saints are the best interpreters of the Bible. Incarnating the word of God in their own lives, they render it more attractive than ever, so that it really speaks to us. The witness of Francis, who loved poverty so as to follow Christ with dedication and total freedom, continues to be for us too an invitation to cultivate interior poverty so as to grow in trust of God, combining a sober lifestyle with a detachment from material goods. In Francis, love for Christ expressed itself in a special way in adoration of the Most Holy Sacrament of the Eucharist. Moving expressions can be read in the Franciscan sources, such as Let all humanity fear, the entire universe tremble, and the heavens exult, when, on the altar, in the hands of the priest, there is Christ, the Son of the living God. O stupendous favour, O humble sublimity, that the Lord of the universe, God and Son of God, so humbles himself as to hide himself our salvation under the modest form of bread. In this year of priests, it pleases me also to recall a recommendation addressed by Francis to priests. When you wish to celebrate Mass, in a pure way, with reverence, carry out the true sacrifice of the most holy body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Francis always showed a great deference towards priests and recommended that they always be respected, even in cases where they personally were hardly worthy. The motivation for this profound respect was the fact that they have received the gift of consecrating the Eucharist. Dear brothers in the priesthood, let us never forget this teaching. 
the holiness of the Eucharist calls us to be pure, to live in a way coherent with the mystery that we celebrate. From the love for Christ is born love towards persons and also towards all God's creatures. Here is another characteristic trait of Francis's spirituality, the sense of universal brotherhood and love for created matter, which inspired his famous canticle of creatures. It is a very timely message. As I recalled in my recent encyclical, Caritas and Veritate, only a development that respects creation and does not damage the environment is sustainable. And, in the message for the World Day of Peace this year, I underlined that the construction of a solid peace is also linked to respect for created matter. Francis reminds us that in creation is unfolded the wisdom and benevolence of the Creator. Nature is for him understood precisely as a language in which God speaks with us, in which reality becomes transparent and we can speak of God and with God. Dear friends, Francis was a great saint and a joyful man. His simplicity, his humility, his faith, his love for Christ, his goodness towards every man and every woman, made him happy in every situation. Indeed, there subsists an intimate and indissoluble relationship between holiness and joy. A French writer said that in the world there is only one sadness, that of not being saints, that is, of not being close to God. Looking at the witness of St. Francis, we understand that this is the secret of true happiness, to become saints, close to God. May the Virgin, so tenderly loved by Francis, obtain this gift for us. We entrust ourselves to her with the words of the Poverello of Assisi himself. Holy Virgin Mary, no one like you among women has ever been born in the world, daughter and handmaid of the Most High King and Heavenly Father, mother of our Most Holy Lord Jesus Christ, spouse of the Holy Spirit. Pray for us, to your Most Holy Beloved Son, Lord and Master. Time has come to lay it down And find it all in you More than this world could ever give In one glimpse of you The fire burns within my soul Love too loud, it won't let go So draw us close Yeah.
Shine. 